There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Never heard of them. Part of the now playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. You put a dime in him, you gotta let the whole song play out. Jacob. If only Cap could see you now. And Stuart. Like, who would have thought that once again, in your hour of need, that, that you would turn to us, you know? What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies featuring the superheroes Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. Hulk like raging fire. Thor. You call yourself Lord of Thunder. God of Thunder. Captain America. Don't know when to give up, do we? I can do this all day. Ant-Man. The ultimate secret weapon. Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. Doctor Strange. Heroes like the Avengers protect the world from physical dangers. We sorcerers safeguarded against all mystical threats. Spider-Man. Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. Inhumans. What are we? What if I told you there's a place where people have powers like us? The city of Adelaide. Black Panther. You're telling me that the king of a third world country runs around in a bulletproof suit. And the Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. And he is good language. Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. Showtime, Today we're discussing Ant-Man and the Wasp, starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michael Pena, Walton Goggins, Hannah John Kamen, with Michelle Pfeiffer, with Lawrence Fishburne, and Michael Douglas as Dr. Hank Pym, directed by Peyton Reed? He's back? Yeah. <laughs> you mean they had a choice to go elsewhere, and they got Peyton Reed again? gonna bring it on again this is arnie coast of now playing and i eat fear for breakfast and your world's greatest grandma stewart and this is the host who's very knowledgeable about car wash protocol jacob it's big right marvel is hitting the biggest grosses for their films they've ever had infinity war and black panther are going to top out past 700 million just in the u.s alone what is the expectation for an Ant-Man and Wasp movie in the shadow of those bohemists? Well, I did go back and look at the first one, which made $500 million worldwide, but only 180 in the States. So I, I'm guessing around there. It's opening a lot bigger than the first one. Yeah, this is a continuation of Infinity War, right? Given that the first one did 520 globally, I think... This one's going to do better than that. I could see it getting over 200 domestic. Yeah, Doctor Strange did 232. That seems like 
where the lesser heroes would wind up. But you wonder, are they going to do more Ant-Man movies? I approached this one thinking, like, this is probably it, right? Before, they didn't have Spider-Man. They had to create a facsimile. But now that he's back in their wheelhouse, and potentially, you know, the Disney deal for with Fox characters is going to go through at the end of this month, or at least it's going to be voted on, they're going to have a lot of opportunities to develop new movies. Why would you make more Ant-Man movies? Why are they making this Ant-Man movie? Because they promised in the last one that we get the Wasp finally. Like, haven't you been anticipating that for the last couple years? Hey, she is the first Marvel female superhero to get her name in the title of a film. And that's cool. I wish it had been Black Widow, frankly. I wish it wasn't this character because (laughs) she's one of my least favorite things about Ant-Man. But, you know, Wonder Woman proved we are more than ready. We're hungry. We're desperate for female-driven superhero movies. If they're going to compete on that level, good luck. The thing is, as we know, next year we're going to see a lot of Marvel characters turn to dust for real. They're going to exit. Chris Evans has said he's more than done. Robert Downey Jr. has been one foot out the door since Iron Man 2. (laughs) I mean, we've constantly, in our retrospective, been like, is he coming back? Is he coming back? Is he just going to do a quick cameo? What's he going to do? God only knows how long they'll keep Jeremy Renner interested with such a nothing part to do. I like what he does, but it's very little. ScarJo, they're having to dangle a solo movie in front of. They need to build another stable of heroes. And they knew Spider-Man was coming. They had that deal in place when they made Ant-Man, when they decided to go forward. Here's the thing, though, with Ant-Man. I think we talked about it with our original podcast, that it's kind of like a kiddie film. Maybe this just set my expectations for the whole film, because I couldn't get it out of my mind but looking at the trailers before this movie i had axel about a robot dog and his teenage friend that rides a motorcycle that's for kids i was just so happy that was not the new bumblebee movie i really (laughs) thought it would be i thought the dog was going to be like out of Soundwave's chest and he was going to be a tape recorder again yeah i had dumbo the live action dumbo because disney's just doing that with all their cartoons now by the way dumbo It's now official. We'll never do all of Tim Burton's movies. (laughs) Yes, please, please, please. I don't want to do that. Hotel Transylvania 3, another animated film. House with a clock in its walls. I don't know if that's a book. Some Jack Black fantasy thing. And the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. There is not one thing aimed for teens, for young adults, for adults in the trailers. It was all kids' films. And it's weird because I feel like Marvel, they want this tone throughout all their films, but these trailers are telling me, no, Ant-Man is the kid stuff. Yeah, and I had to make that adjustment coming back to it. It's freeing when you let yourself go of expectations. You know, I think when I listened to the old show, when I went back and watched the original movie, I struggled with whether to recommend it or not because I was so ambivalent. And I still feel ambivalent about it, but I think I made the right choice in endorsing it because it is a well-made kids film. Maybe that is backhanded praise, but I do think that that is a different bar to measure a movie series by. You do not judge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the same way you would Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, I agree. It's something that hadn't really occurred to me with the first Ant-Man, but when we were discussing it with the end fight on the Tonka train set and everything, I wouldn't say kitty like maybe How to Train Your Dragon, but definitely younger kids. Just the age we were when we were watching things like 
Goonies and Explorers and yeah, based on those trailers, I would not want to watch any of those movies after the age of twelve. Yeah, and to that point, I don't think that the adults that made Ant-Man, I don't think anyone benefited in the time off. The one that did the best was Edgar Wright, because he made Baby Driver instead of Ant-Man, and that was his biggest box office success, if not his best film. Well, Peyton Reed is back. Yeah, he made a TV movie about a woman struggling with weight issues. Boy, is he lucky. (laughs) He was so coming back. If no one else was coming back, he would have done it. I will work for food. (laughs) Well, he was really excited to be able to actually design a movie from the beginning instead of picking up Edgar Wright's sloppy seconds of being told make it work. Yeah, sure. But even Paul Rudd, you know, usually there's a bump for a star that, you know, certainly Chris Pratt was everywhere after Guardians. Paul Rudd was a voice in Sausage Party, and he went back to do some seasons of Wet Hot American Summer. Still not a big star. Well, Paul Rudd has always been a star since Clueless. Uh, what are you talking about? He has never been a star. (laughs) Uh, You and I will have to agree to disagree on that, sir. For Artie, Clueless is star material. No, I'm saying Clueless got him a big following. I look at his resume. I mean, he has led in some big comedies. I'm thinking of This is 40. Was that big? No. The Anchorman films, I know he's a supporting character in that. Yeah, Will Ferrell. Again, I think my point is valid. He has yet to prove that he can carry a film that doesn't have Marvel under his wings. Admittedly, but he's constantly working. He's famous. He doesn't need Marvel. He's a working actor. That's always a success. What I'm saying is that that movie last time wasn't such the hit that everyone was rolling in it. You know, everyone comes back to this because they had nothing else. Michael Douglas has a good excuse. He has health problems. (laughs) I felt like with Guardians, Chris Pratt, if you were into Parks and Rec, you knew who he was. But I don't know how many people knew Chris Pratt. But now everyone knows Chris Pratt. Paul Rudd. Yeah, Generation X knows Paul Rudd. I don't know how many people younger than us know who he is. Well, I think this movie will introduce them to them. But the thing is, when you mention Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans or Chris Pratt, the thing that they have, and I'd say this goes for Chris Hemsworth too, is they were pretty much unknown or undervalued quantities. Robert Downey Jr. had his struggles that were very notorious. Chris Evans seemed pretty much, judging by Losers and Fantastic Four, stuck in a himbo kind of extreme sports guy role that he mocked effectively in Scott Pilgrim. Chris Hemsworth was Kirk's dad. Nobody really knew what to make of him. Chris Pratt, yeah, Parks and Rec came out and was able to lead a movie with the charisma that no one knew he had except for James Gunn. You know, these people did great casting and pulled things out of those actors we've never seen before. Paul Rudd is Paul Rudd. And when he did Ant-Man, it was Paul Rudd. Oh my God, I'm the size of an ant. He didn't do anything new. He did what Paul Rudd does. I like what Paul Rudd does, but I'm going to place my stake right now. We'll get into it. Paul Rudd will not have more than three minutes of screen time in Avengers 4. He doesn't fit in. He will not fit in a serious movie where half the world is dead. That's why they sent him away at the end of this. They sent him away. He will come back at the very end. Yeah, I'm wondering if he'll even show up. I guess that's for maybe if we get Ant-Man 3. And I feel like that was the buzz. If there was any sense of excitement... As I went to the IMAX this past Thursday opening night, it was not, oh, goody, we get to see Ant-Man and Wasp. It was, 
how are they going to tie this into Infinity War? Will we get any clues or Easter eggs that tell us what's going to happen about the movie we really care about next summer? Yeah, based on the biggest reaction during this film, that's what people cared about is when it tied into Infinity War. Yeah, and the answer is not really. You get nothing. Everybody thought that it would even reveal the title. I remember reading some things that would say, and at the end of the credits, it will say, Ant-Man and the Wasp will return in Avengers 4, whatever the next subtitle is. And nope, this will return, question mark. Yeah. But I think that Ant-Man was a solid earner globally. They want to keep up the pace. I feel that Spider-Man really hit a teen tween audience with its Zendaya and its very light take on Breakfast Club-like politics. Ant-Man... The second one drives it home. It skews younger. It's sillier. It is, honey, I shrunk the kids. It is. It's, I was thinking for some reason of the toy, you know, just silly comedy, but it's a family film. I'm not saying that in a negative way. No, I'm not making my judgment based on it being, and I will say a family film, because I do think there is some appeal to adults or something to keep you entertained. But yes, it is a family film, whereas Infinity War, little kids were crying. Yeah, they're not going to have that threat in this one. Tap into your inner eight-year-old. I think this is the perfect time to do that because the movie that kicked off this summer was so intense. We don't need another one. We need a palate cleanser. We need to introduce some lightness, some jovial time. They, I mean, they're going to have to explain why Ant-Man wasn't there, but other than that, they don't need to be tied to that dark, serious war. They can have fun, and I'm willing to do that. I mean, the one thing, watching Ant-Man again, that I realized that I still like, as much as I did when it was, I was eight years old, is I just love miniatures. I love seeing big things done in small, be it a diorama at a museum or a kid's show like the Bugaloos or Land of the Giants, play sets. I just love when like, you know, you could have a little McDonald's in your house and like pretend you were running the cash register. Anytime you can do that, it's really fun. I still think it's fun. Hell, Downsizing, a movie that was not very popular, but I consider an underrated movie, explored it as a, an adult satire. And I think that might have been part of why it wasn't celebrated. Nothing there for kids. But I just like the idea of looking at the world shrunk down in miniature. It's just visually, it's just a fun thing to see. So that's what I'm showing up for. That's what I'm going to enjoy as we get to Ant-Man and Wasp. And I'm just looking for a good time. My expectations are middling. My excitement was middling. I mean, with Avengers... I remember being like, what's Thanos' motive? What's going on in these scenes? Trying to puzzle it out in my head because I was just so invested in what's happening. I think with most of the solo films right now, I'm not that excited. Ant-Man, I wasn't even all that excited for Black Panther. Hey, Black Panther, though. I know, it was great. It defied all my expectations. I'm saying I didn't go in with the expectations. And to Ant-Man, I went with you, IMAX, opening night, and... I just went in hoping to be entertained. I had one thing that made me very nervous. <laughs> the trailers had an obviously fake-looking ant playing the drums. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. How kiddy are we going? Is the ant gonna talk? How is this gonna go? There's a giant Pez. We're going kitty. <laughs> and not just any Pez. Hello, kitty Pez. But theater was pretty full. I was surprised because I was... Able to get tickets till the last minute, but IMAX, 6 o'clock showing, a lot of people showed up at the end. 
Although there were empty seats. I, yeah. I will say, if you showed up at the last second, there was room for you. Yeah, there were empty seats, mostly those front rows that no one ever wants. But yeah, pretty packed theater. I went preview night, 7 p.m., and pretty full. Yeah, Fourth of July weekend, they're really positioned to own this time frame. There's really no competition. I just think First Purge is a different kind of audience. Much smaller skewing. (laughs) I can't imagine that they'll have any trouble being number one and and having a big weekend. But will this movie be considered a success? Will it keep up the trend of being a blockbuster like Black Panther and Infinity War? Let's get into it. Arnie, why don't you give them the plot? It's been two years since the Marvel heroes went to Civil War, and in order to see his daughter again, Scott Lang the Ant-Man made a plea deal with Homeland Security and the German government. He is to have two years of monitored house arrest, followed by three years of probation for his unlawful use of superpowered technology, and he's to have no contact with any former associates. This is something the government's keeping a close eye on, suspecting Scott of still being in contact with Hope Van Dyne and her father, the original Ant-Man, Hank Pym, who have been on the run this whole time. It turns out they also broke the Sokovia Accords by creating the suit Scott used. Scott has been abiding to the letter of the law, staying home and playing with his daughter Cassie, and he started a security business with his old ex-convict associates, Louis, Dave, and Kurt. But Hope and Hank have been busier. Because at the end of the last movie, Scott went to the Quantum Realm and survived to return. Hank theorizes that Hope's mother, Janet Van Dyne, who, if you remember, was lost in the Quantum Realm 30 years earlier while stopping a nuke, may be alive and they may be able to rescue her. Hope and Hank have a secret lab, and in it they built a tunnel to the Quantum Realm. They've done this with parts brought from black market tech dealer Sonny Birch, played by Walton Goggins. And they got the tunnel to work, but it overloaded. However, when it was opened, Scott had a vision to him sent by Janet, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Scott calls Hank, and soon Hank and Hope have kidnapped Scott from his home, leaving a giant ant in his place to wear the ankle monitor. They need the information from Scott's head to get Janet's exact location and rescue her. But there's a problem. Hank's lab, which is very convenient and transportable, it shrinks down, possibly it could even be a carry-on, is wanted by a mysterious woman they call Ghost because she has the power to phase through solid objects. Ghost is actually a young woman named Ava Starr, played by Hannah John Kamen, and her phasing is a painful process that happened due to a lab experiment done by her father, one of Hank Pym's old partners. Hank disgraced and fired Ava's father, so she blames Hank for her tortured existence, and S.H.I.E.L.D., Hank's employer, took Ava as a spy and assassin. With no lab, Hank turns to another old partner for help, Bill Foster, played by Lawrence Fishburne. Foster was the original Goliath when he worked with Hank, but they too had a falling out. Still, Foster gives Pym an idea needed to track his missing lab. Meanwhile, the Pyms are also being hunted by Birch and a stereotypical gunman henchman. There's a lot of playing keep away with that lab, and Mm. two big things are revealed. First, Ghost and Bill Foster are in cahoots all along. Bill, working for S.H.I.E.L.D., was helping stabilize Ava. Now Ava thinks that the quantum energy Janet will have when she returns from the quantum realm could be absorbed and thus cure Ava from her disease. But both Hank and Bill think that's going to kill Janet. Second, Hank, Hope, and Scott get the gateway open and get Janet's coordinates, but 
of course, that's only good for two hours, and then she'll be lost for a thousand years. So Hank goes into the Quantum Realm to rescue his wife, while Hope and Scott team up to stop Ghost, and the ex-con security guys put a stop to Birch and his men. As Hank returns with Janet, Bill convinces Ghost not to turn on the machine, but Janet has come back a changed woman. A touch from her fingers stabilizes Ava, and the Pims are a family again, and Scott and Hope renew their relationship as lovers, as well as crime-fighting partners. And Scott makes it back home before being caught by the FBI, and his two years of house arrest ends as credits roll. To a mid-credits scene, it seems Ava needs a constant influx of quantum energy now, so Scott goes to the quantum realm to get it, but that's when, across the world in Wakanda, Thanos snapped his fingers, and Hope, Hank, and Janet all turned to ash, leaving Scott trapped in the quantum realm. So that's the plot. A couple of interesting things that didn't happen. First of all, Michael Douglas was really petitioning for a different actress for that role, which must make it very uncomfortable to work with Michelle Pfeiffer. You didn't want her? He was really set on, for some reason, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, Come on, are you serious? I'm dead serious. Well, you know, they do have a relationship that is longstanding by Hollywood definition. They have been together for decades at this point, and she's not working that often. Evangeline Lilly, though, was promoting for Michelle Pfeiffer from the press junket of the first film. She kept saying she hoped Michelle Pfeiffer would get the role, and Peyton Reed pitched it, and Michelle Pfeiffer said yes, and Michelle Pfeiffer also isn't doing a whole lot. I did not go back and watch the original Ant-Man. We never see Janet in that one. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't Michelle Pfeiffer, but we never saw a different actor's face. Never without the mask on. We saw the flashback where a lesser-known actress was playing the part, and I saw it before Infinity War. I don't even remember if she had any lines. I think so. I think those lines are now dubbed by Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, definitely dubbed. Yeah. And the actress was like, I can't wait to return next time to an expanded role. And I'm like, you ain't returning. There's a reason they did not take your mask off. And again, I'm on record of saying I really like it when people that don't like comic books are forced to do comic book <laughs> movies. And she's in that category that we've seen so many people from Robert Redford and Michael Douglas himself. Hold on now. She's comic book movie royalty. She's Catwoman. And, and apparently, you can just erase everything now. I mean, what they do with Michael Douglas and Lawrence Fishburne and Michelle Pfeiffer, I'm years beyond what we saw with Patrick Stewart in The Last Stand. Yeah, I, the movie begins with Michael Douglas's character saying, I still think about the night mom and I left you. And it's not because of the trauma that was caused to hope. It's because it must be so addictive for actors to look at the screen of a new movie <laughs> and see themselves from 30 years ago. That is amazing. And yeah, I do love this stuff. And they've gotten way past the uncanny valley to the point that if I didn't know better, I don't think I'd think twice about it. My wife was freaking out. She's like, wait, how, did they repurpose old footage of him? How are they doing this? I'm like, it's computers, honey. They can do everything now. What they do with Michael Douglas is pretty amazing in here. I was very impressed. And I like this as a setup. Having no idea what Ant-Man and Wasp are going to do once they get together. They're going to go attack Baskin-Robbins. It could have been anything. I'm happy to learn that the plot is to pick up that thread that they left dangling from the first movie. I think the mystery of the quantum realm was the best thing they had. And yeah, is she there? Could she still be alive 30 years later? How does she exist now? Can they rescue her? A very tantalizing plot thread. I'll just put it up front right now. If I was doing this movie, here's my plot summary. 
Hank and the Wasp and Ant-Man, they all go to the Quantum Realm. And we get a Fantastic Voyage movie. And then there's outside action with Ghost and Michael Pena and that group helping protect the, the lab. I wanted a Quantum Realm movie. We'll get a little bit of it, but I really want that Fantastic Voyage film. That would have been a great way to go. I do feel like they're very judicious about how often we go there and what we actually see. I mean, I do think they've given themselves room to create, you know, what wasn't what if? Isn't that a, a yeah? Was it Marvel? Yeah, Marvel did a What If series, yeah. Yeah, I remember I looked at a few of them and I never, I thought it was a cool concept, but I didn't know enough about Marvel characters to really, I think, get that concept. But I do think that if they wanted to What If a few movies, that would be a fun place to do it. The thing that I'm actually astonished by, and it hit me with this movie when they're dropping that Again, Hank Pym worked for S.H.I.E.L.D., which we set up in the first one, and that he worked with Bill Foster. I'm starting to think, okay, so we've got so many heroes in name or in body scattered throughout all these movies. And the fact that they are now going to different realms and going to space and going cosmic, they have effectively recreated the comic book in the movie medium. And with all the pluses and minuses that come with that, the pluses is you feel invested. You feel like it's a cohesive universe. You get a lot of cameos. Although, sadly, this film had no cameos. I was really looking forward to one. But the downside is you get convoluted continuity and you get soap opera like, oh, they're back from the dead. <laughs> There's a lot of continuity in this film, which I did not expect. Again, my wife, who has not seen all these Marvel films, at the beginning, when you're getting all the exposition, she's like, what are they talking about? Sar what accords? And I'm like, I'll explain it later. So, But what I appreciated <laughs> was how this did feel like there is a Marvel Cinematic Universe now with these mentions of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that they took Ghost and she was she's like Bucky, right? She was an assassin because we know S.H.I.E.L.D. was really Hydra manipulating world events. So I kind of got into all those little world building things now that we're like 20 movies in to this Marvel Universe. I still don't want to watch S.H.I.E.L.D. the TV show, but you know, I think you could have reframed this movie as a ghost movie. No one would go see it. <laughs> but it could have just been about, hey, here's this person that's broken away from S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra who screwed her, and now she's trying to come to terms with what she's going to do with her life. Interesting, weird sci-fi drama that no one would see but me, but you could do that now. I mean, they, they've set that foundation. And for someone that doesn't know all of this comic book lore, or that Ghost was even a character that existed on the page, I thought they were teasing something that I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was going to be the villain of this film until we get a look at who's behind the ghost mask. I will say, at the start here, when we have Pym and his daughter Hope saying, we've got to go find her, maybe she's alive, I'm thinking this is going to be a false premise. This is going to be poltergeist where they think they're talking to the children and it's really the beast or god help us star trek 5 kirk thinks he's met god and it's really an alien <laughs> i believe that michelle pfeiffer has turned into something that is this ghost and that she's going to be the threat that would have been something to do but i think that that would be a very adult sophisticated storyline and it's pretty obvious when we get to the next several scenes the next 30 minutes it's playtime we don't want to do that when we're playing in a cardboard maze with cardboard ants yeah we have just a lot of what paul rudd wanted paul rudd didn't want to make another superhero film he wanted to make a film where his character was more interested in being a good father than being a world savior and ant-man is a small hero he shrinks down in size the one thing that they've done very well is 
these movies are very small in scope. Nothing is going to destroy the world. We had that already. This is going to be a couple people's lives. Which I'm okay with. Oh no, I'm saying that as a compliment. Yeah, when it comes to the comic books, I often like the D-list heroes who just, they're in the corners of those superhero universes. There was a great Hawkeye run. Yes, a great Hawkeye run where it was just what he does on his days off from the Avengers and it's just him protecting an apartment building from some Russian mafia guys. Was that the one with Pizza Dog? Yes, with Pizza Dog in it. (laughs) Which won an Eisner, an issue about a dog that you see his thoughts. But I like that, so I don't mind a smaller movie. I don't, again, Spider-Man Homecoming. It was just Spider-Man versus the Vulture. It it wasn't a big earth-shattering thing, which I think a lot of the early Marvel stuff felt like. Thor 2, everything. After the Avengers, how can you keep just doing single superhero movies about saving the world? No, I, I don't mind this smaller thing. Filling out those corners of the Marvel Universe. I'm interested in that stuff. Okay, I'll be the grumpy one then. I do feel like if you go to the big screen, I'm sitting in IMAX, I want to see something big. If what you're telling me is, hey, we're launching a ABC Family Situation comedy, then put it on ABC. This doesn't belong here. I, and believe me, I love the playtime. I love all of this Michelle Gondry, like we created an anthill out of cardboard and playing with Anton, the puppet, and all of this stuff is magical and fun. I truly enjoy it. I just don't feel like most of this movie should exist here on the big screen. I don't have a problem with it because I just see it as a different kind of movie. And I was surprised at the Freddie Mercury stories going to IMAX. I think of IMAX and I really think of effects films. and It's the new 3D, right? Yeah, I think it is. I think the fact that um, Ocean's 8 ended up on IMAX, it's changing it. And I don't mind rom-coms. I don't mind them with kids in them. I have enjoyed several with Paul Rudd in them. So... I'm okay with this being the story. I find these early scenes to be Paul Rudd doing what Paul Rudd does best. I mean, when we have the montage of him home alone to the Partridge family theme of come on, get happy, and he's just trying to kill time because he's under house arrest, this is perfectly acceptable enjoyment. And what does Paul Rudd do best? I don't know what that is. What is it? Mug at the screen? I'd say it's great comic timing, comic delivery. I believe that you can take not great material and give it to Paul Rudd and he will work on delivery and possibly ad lib a little bit to make things better. Truthfully, in this entire film, the only actor, and there's some great actors here, Michael Douglas, Oscar winning, and I've loved him in a lot of films, Michelle Pfeiffer, very big career, the only actor who really, I feel, carries the screen and has the presence in this movie is Paul Rudd. I feel like he's carrying this movie on his back like a tiny ant. Yeah, because I really feel like the storyline isn't his. I feel like he's even less important in this movie than he was the last time. I mean, I feel like this is truly the Wasp movie. They could switch it around. The Wasp with Ant-Man is how it really comes across since the focus is on Hope finding her mother. He has very little stakes in it all. He's ultimately, his cross to bear will be that in order to stay with his daughter, he is constantly worried about stepping out beyond the boundaries. He's only got three more days of house arrest. If they should catch him, he'll go to jail for 20 years and he'll miss his daughter's coming of age. Right, which makes it a personal stake for him. Yes, he wants to get back with Hope. They had a relationship. We find out now that 
It was never explicitly shown in the last movie, but their relationship had become physical during the training session montage. And he is lonely. I think that's what I'm getting out of that Come On Get Happy montage, is it's just him. He has a new surrogate family. Bobby Cannaville is back as Paxton, the cop married to Scott's ex-wife, Maggie, played again by Judy Greer. But any kind of tension there is gone. They, like, group hug now and everything. But despite having that surrogate family, they take Cassie and he's left alone. He needs somebody in his life. He needs a family. This is Scott searching for a family of his own. Yeah, I wish there was more of the father-daughter stuff at the beginning, because I feel like they're trying to sell me on that, but then they're like, oh, this is a Marvel film, and we gotta have people in superheroes, so we can't spend too much time on that family stuff. I wish I got into that relationship more, because it feels like it's supposed to be super important. I just don't know if they ever really convince me it is. They never really sell it. I get that he wants to be there for his daughter. I wish that was better developed. Yeah, the premise is is that he just is very hesitant to go beyond the boundaries of his house, and that gets threatened right away because he has a dream. While Hope and Hank are testing out what's called the quantum tunnel and trying to open passage to the quantum realm, during that five minutes, it appears, but I'm thinking, oh, this is something else. Something is reaching out to Scott and putting the message in his head that's a memory, I guess, of a hide-and-seek game that Hope played with her mother. Scott's in the bathtub where he falls asleep and has the dream. First of all, PSA, don't fall asleep in the tub, you can drown. Second of all, I feel really bad for him because he has to put his foot in a garbage bag. I don't know, have either of you guys ever had foot surgery or something where you can't get your foot wet? Well, if you have a cast, you can't get it wet. You gotta wrap it up like that. Yeah, I know. I had a cast. I had to do that. That foot stank after about a week. It smelled like death incarnate. So I hope he's sponge bathing that foot or something when he can't bring it in the tub. But the vision itself, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Are we going to be in a body hopping comedy? He is in the eyes of Michelle Pfeiffer's Janet now. There's a lot of ways that they could play it. There are five people that are contributing to the script. I'm guessing that they had Lots of different versions about what to do. Later, when we find out who Ghost really is, I think that they did do a disservice to the character and probably took away some of the more interesting things that she could be doing. It will be as it is represented here. She is just alive and in that realm and beckoning through Scott to her daughter to please come get her. And so that brings them back into contact. One thing that... We did not know, but because he went away to Civil War and chose to fight with Cap, Hope got jealous. I mean, again, I've never really liked this character. Does she have a point that he didn't call her? No, no. It's nothing about that. It's that they lost everything. He disrupted their lives because he broke those accords. And I guess they are complicit in the accords because they made the suit. So they could either be tried for that or do what they did they lost their home they have been literally on the run for two years and they blame scott for it and scott didn't even tell them he was going that's what she's most upset about is she was the wasp she had the wasp suit and he didn't call and say hey you want to go fight iron man he just went and didn't tell them he lied to them about where he was going it's not a romantic upset it's a you screwed up my life upset yeah not romance this is a woman again why don't i get my suit and at the end of that film that first ant-man she got her wasp suit and it feels like she's ticked off that she didn't go get to fight with all the other heroes yeah both pims 
father and daughter are really prickly. I mean, they are geniuses and maybe they have a point. Maybe they should be the ones doing the fighting, but it makes them very resentful and they just never have any fun. And so consequently, I always feel like Hope is just the wet blanket ruining the day of Scott every time he wants to be mirthful. Okay, so he wanted to go and fight in the Civil War. We're all glad he did. He made that scene better. And here she is complaining about, woe is me. Well, why wasn't she there? Why didn't she go and fight? He didn't invite her. He didn't tell her. He just went because he was excited. I mean, I kind of get it when he's like, well, they said go help Cap. And she's like, Cap? Well, that's what his friends call him. You know, I think he was also a bit starstruck, maybe didn't want to share that. But I really came in worried about Evangeline Lilly because between the last movie and now, I actually had a brief encounter with her and it was every negative Hollywood stereotype of a diva you could imagine. It was one of those never meet your idols. Not that she's my idol or anything. I but say, <laughs> is she even a Hollywood diva? Oh my God. Is, is this Faye Dunaway? I want a coffee. I've had a few of those <laughs> in my time in LA. Wow. Okay. I- so I expected to come in here. I didn't love her on Lost. I've rewatched Ant-Man. She is a stick in the mud. So... I came in expecting to dislike her, and during these early scenes, I did. I'll give her this credit. I fell into the character by the time she put on the outfit and got fighting. I ended up really liking Hope in this movie. It was a new hope. It's more the way the character is written, and I do feel like it's consistent. If you have a character as prickly as Hank, how could he have a daughter any other way than hope it is their character arc to be prickly and to have people around them not like them but that it seems like a success and a failure simultaneously we eventually do want to like her i don't have any personal stories with the actress with the hobbit and these films i don't know if it's the way she's written the way she plays the character there's a distance i don't want to get invested in her she's just not the draw paul rudd's not going to do much in this film but i'd much rather watch him than her it's a romantic comedy formula in the sense that he is so happy and, and go lucky and eager. He wants to get it going again. And, you know, you got to have some contrast there. You got to have a character that doesn't want that. But much like the last movie, I don't feel like there is a romantic storyline that plays out here where she thaws out. And so if I'm too warm up to her, I didn't get it in this viewing. I got it. But I think she was more sympathetic here because in the last one, she was constantly complaining. It was always, why can't I do it? And it was because her father had lied to her her whole life and everything. I mean, there were very solid reasons why she couldn't do it, but nobody told her. If they'd had a brief conversation, things could have been different. But it was always, why am I not out there? Why am I not out there? Here, it's more sympathetic. I want to save my mom. I need to save my mother. She's been gone 30 years. I did the math. They finally said 30 years. So apparently a nuke was flying in 1988. And around the time Michelle Pfeiffer was laying on a piano and singing and getting married to the mob, that's when she disappeared. Okay. Yeah. The 80s, Cold War. All right. That makes sense. It's right at the tail end of Reagan, though. So I would have thought maybe less nukes. But I found that more sympathetic. 
I do wish Michael Douglas had more to do. I like him as an actor. I like Hank Pym in the role. Here, he felt like he was Mr. Exposition. He's constantly there to be like, we've got the quantum tunnel and we need this quantum piece and we got to get this quantum thing. Yeah, I feel like when Paul Rudd says, do you just put quantum in front of everything? I was thinking that 10 minutes before he said it. I'm like, I wonder if he just ad-libbed that line because this movie is just full of junk science. We are just going to say big words. They don't mean anything, but it's science. Again, it's a goofy kids film, but a lot of exposition in this film. Yeah, kids film, and we're going to play kid games. All of Act 2 really is a game of hot potato. It is who has the lab. That thing gets passed around eight different times. And you're right. What we really want to do is go to the quantum realm. And what we get instead is a litany of characters who aren't that interesting, maybe played by character actors we like. I like Walton Goggins. He was great in Hateful Eight. I love Walton Goggins as a character actor. And yeah, you know what? I never thought I'd say this. His villain in Tomb Raider was better than his villain here. He had more to do in Tomb Raider than he has here. I feel bad for Walton Goggins because I know he can play things really well. He is so stereotypical and underutilized. Yeah, but this whole film, I feel, is saved by the cast. Like, Walter Goggins is always fun for me to watch. I like Michael Pena and his group. They're funny. I mean, Randall Park, who plays Jimmy Woo, this FBI agent, he does a lot of TV stuff that I've seen him in. He was fun to watch. It, it's very sitcom-y, like his obsession with learning these magic tricks that Scott knows. But there are a lot of the characters. If they didn't have these actors that I was interested in that kept me engaged... Yeah, I would just shut down because it's too much. And to Arnie's point, if they were just like, let's just frame this like this was Inception. If they were on the outer realm trying to protect the lab while our heroes were inside the tunnel having an adventure at the same time, in small quantities, I would really enjoy all of these people. But the fact that they're the main attraction and it's just about passing around this very cool lab. I love the fact that it can shrink and grow. I mean, it is the best thing about this movie is the interplay between getting big and getting small that it can be a tote, like a carry-on piece of luggage, is quite fun. That's why they feature it so much in the trailer. But at a certain point, I don't really care about the lab. I care about where they're going. And it's so convoluted, because... Goggins finds out conveniently who Hope is because he has a contact at the FBI who conveniently works for Wu. It's taken him two years to figure this out. I mean, Scott's been under house arrest for two years. That means they've been on the run for two years and building this lab over these two years, I assume, buying tech from him. It took him a very long time to figure out their identities. Yeah, that's fine. I just, again, he will just spend the whole movie trying to steal a lab. And what he really wants to do is go into business with them. And he's just kind of an entrepreneur. I do love the fact that he's just in a glitzy restaurant and worried when this action scene breaks out that it's going to ruin the chandelier and what have you. That is a nice little cultural detail about San Francisco. I can think of no other city other than New York that per square mile has better eateries. I mean, it is just a great food town and there are just so many great restaurants like this on every block that he would be one of those... And we find out by the end when he's taken true serum that he's violated health codes. I like that little detail. But do we need him so prominently in this movie when he's not going to get us to where we want to go? I will say this fight where we finally see the wasp demonstrate her prowess is pretty good. I thought it was a good fight. What I noticed immediately, though, remember last movie, in addition to having an ant suit, it was Hope teaching Scott how to fight. She uses a lot more fighting and a lot less size changing. I was surprised that she took out three guys full 
size, just wearing her body armor and kicking them. Well, she's got like lasers or tasers or something on her suit. Yeah, that too. And given that the movie's Ant-Man, I expect it to utilize some of the size more. She does more when she gets into the kitchen, but it feels to me like she's more the brawler and Scott is going to end up being more tactical and using his size against them. Honestly, though, it's the difference between Edgar Wright and Peyton Reed, right? Because Edgar Wright did that test footage for that elevator sequence that defined how Ant-Man would fight. And that elevator sequence, almost shot for shot, was redone by Reed in that first movie. Reed now has total control. This is how Reed envisions Ant-Man's fighting versus Edgar Wright. And it's not Ant-Man's fighting. It's the Wasp fighting. Ant-Man can't fight because Ant-Man doesn't have a suit. Although we'll find out that Hank has a rebuilt, reconstituted 2.0 in an Altoids case and gives it to him and it will lead to situational comedy mostly where he's a half pint. He's never the right size for the situation. But this fight is really for Wasp to demonstrate why she's cooler. She has wings, she has wrist blasters, and yeah, she can make things like salt shakers grow big to block doors, and she can shrink down when people throw knives at her. But she can't fight Ghost. No, Ghost had appeared earlier, just a little tease when they're leaving the lab, and it did make me think that Ghost was something they'd summoned from the quantum realm. Right, yeah. if not Michelle Pfeiffer herself, yes, something that was tracking her. I feel like Ghost is kind of a disappointment once you see what the story is. Oh, yeah. But this introduction, and I'll say this for both these Ant-Man films, I feel like these are the best costumes in the Marvel Universe. That Ant-Man costume just feels so 50s retro sci-fi, and this Ghost outfit is great. I love the look of it. I feel like Louise and his buddies probably like went to like one studio over and stole a costume from the Star Wars yes! set. <laughs> it looks much more like Star Wars than Marvel. My wife's like, is that like one of those sand people because it's got all those like <laughs> eyes coming out of the mask and yeah it does have a star wars feel jacob who is ghost from the comics it's a character they've never i don't think they've really revealed the whole backstory but it is a male and yeah the, he has this outfit and he's like an it genius that could phase through he's not a big character but he's always you know showing up now and then he actually was an iron man villain originally he had first appeared in iron man and he has no relationship to Baba Yaga? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because we get all of this. I do not know. I do know why. I do know why Louise has a subplot in which he's trying to sell a security system to someone we never meet. And he's always talking with his buddies from the last film, T.I. and the Russian. But there is no real point to have these guys in here except to throw in more one-liners to riff on more pop culture like Morrissey and Intamin's Pastries. That is a real thing. There is a Morrissey and the Smiths have a big Hispanic following. I thought that was a very nice <laughs> detail that they caught that. But Ghost is a really cool-looking villain here. I like the fight. I like that we see Hope really kicking some ass, and then Ghost is too much for her. She just can't get a hit in, because every time she tries, Ghost phases. Ghost is a wasted opportunity, though. Yeah. We find out way too soon after this that it's a young human woman when we see her go back to her chamber she has some chambers she has to sleep in i wish there was more supernatural here i wish she was from the quantum realm some kind of unleashed monster i'm still betting that she is again i'm not even sure it's not michelle pfeiffer turning herself or merged into something else i i, I don't know how you see her whole backstory as a kid and her dad got fired from shield who is 
If you know the Marvel villain Egghead, that, that's who her dad is. Really? That's him? That's who that character is supposed to be, is Egghead from the comics. Not Vincent Price from <laughs> yeah. Batman 66. But yeah, that's supposed to be Egghead, which I, when I was watching the movie, he's bald. I'm like, he's got a really weird shaped head. And then I'm like, oh, that was Egghead. That makes a little more sense now. But I don't know why you think she's got something to do with Michelle Pfeiffer because we see her backstory. We see as a kid, that quantum explosion. 90 minutes into the movie. I mean, we're way deep in the movie when we finally get to her cool house in the forest and see her in the chamber and they finally get there. There is a lot to go through of just shenanigans, not even important stuff, just (laughs) jokes and bits. And one thing I noticed watching Ant-Man 2015 again, there is a lot of deleted scenes afterwards. If you want to look at extras, They fully admit, we make long movies, we riff, we do spontaneous things on the set, and the best material winds up, we're just going to cut it down to two hours. No matter what it is, we're just going to cut, and at two-hour mark, we're done. But for this, I believe it's all joke material, and I think that is how they're cutting this film. They're not concerned about pacing a plot. They don't really care about the plot. It's not really geared for that. If you're not laughing, if you're not having a good time, you're missing the point. Yeah, this is a silly plot, like the ghost what she believes that if janet could come back that she'll have magic power like somehow she knows she'll have magic powers that can heal her and put her cells back together again not magic powers it's drunk science which equals magic to me okay but she doesn't know janet will have powers what she knows is she will have absorbed quantum energy like radiation she's been exposed to it for so long that she'll be irradiated and able to be used as a battery when she comes back and she knows that will fix her and so why isn't she working to go into the realm and get her own energy i agree the biggest problem i have with this movie is that they have not created a conflict in which the villain's plan makes any kind of sense that she wants to destroy michelle pfeiffer is a contrivance for this plot so that we can pit Ant-Man versus Wasp, but it really doesn't make any sense why that would be the thing to heal her. And I don't even think Ghost is really a villain. Again, they should have restructured this movie the way I wanted it. Fantastic Voyage and the people trying to protect (laughs) the building would have been better. Like, have Ghost become a good guy, like, 30 minutes in, because a lot of fathers and daughters, Ghost and Bill Foster, Lawrence Fishburne, it's like a daughter to him. We have those themes. I don't feel like you ever want to make Ghost too much of a villain, because we have all these fathers or parents and daughters going on throughout the film, including her. So I just wish she had something more proactive to do than being a pretend villain. And one of the reasons I think this movie is more family-friendly, who's the villain? Walton Goggins? He's a comedic villain. He never even has much of a plot other than I'm going to steal your house. It's about as big of a villain as the old lady in Gremlins here. And the fact that at the end, everybody's going to work it out and be smiling because there are no villains, it's a nice change of pace from Thanos, but... It also feels like I would have liked a little bit more danger, a little bit more suspense. I think it's arguable. You could say that Michael Douglas is a villain because it's all his fault. If he weren't such a jerk back in his days on Project Goliath, Bill Foster may not have turned against him. When they go to see him, he'd be like, hey, you know what? I know who this ghost is. I'll introduce you. Maybe you can work together. It's a lot of people not working together towards a problem that they can all fix if they put ego aside. But because Pym is so difficult to work with, you know, he has an enemy for 30 years with Bill Foster, and he also got 
Ava, ghost dad discredited, thrown out the reason why he had to work at home and create a bad quantum tunnel that killed him and turned her into this phasing ghost is because Pym did that. He discredited him. He fired him. He ruined his life. Yeah, I do not like Michael Douglas in this film, or Hank Pym, I guess. I feel like they go out of their way to make him a jerk in this film and unlikable. It's really a problem to me that he never has a revelation that, wow, I've been a jackass my whole life. I've pushed away all these people. I created this problem. There's never an epiphany for him where he realizes he should make amends. You know what would have been great? What if his wife wasn't happy to see him? What if she's like, you pushed me away too, and I've had 30 years of resentment, and he has to come to terms with that. No, he pushed away Egghead, as you called him from the comics. He pushed away Bill Foster here. He's not that nice to Scott. I really think that there should have been a character arc for him. Yeah, even when he's going down into the quantum realm, he, he like loses signal with the lab, and he's like, what are those guys doing? He's even grumpy then. I'm like, just let him. Let those big bugs eat him. I made a lot of noise about this in the last film. I actually thought, casting Michael Douglas, I mean, what do you associate Michael Douglas with but Wall Street, corporate raider, a suit that is heartless and cold and will do anything for money. I equate him to a cheating husband whose bunny was boiled more, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was always the unlikable father figure and the sex-troubled man and... Falling down the game. Is he ever a nice guy? Hold on. Basic instinct. Well, he definitely had a problem there, but yeah, Sharon Stone was the bigger problem. But again, I feel like they were playing off his image with Wall Street and that it was for Scott to teach him something. It's great that Hank wants to make him and mold him into an Ant-Man, but Scott had the opportunity to say, hey, stop treating us all like ants working your colony you aren't the queen bee or however the metaphor should work but that was a lesson i thought should have been in the last movie they don't correct it here you're right i think they try to make him sympathetic because we're told in a few scenes that he's got a heart problem at one point it seems like he might even have a heart attack and and give out oh i thought he was just faking to get loose yeah i thought that was just a fake oh okay well then i they really do nothing then i guess (laughs) There's just a lot of trouble here in these middle scenes because, yes, they're chasing the lab. We're meeting Lawrence Fishburne as Bill Foster, former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, now college professor. I do like that scene, and I'm laughing. I'm having a good time because when they go to campus and Paul Rudd's like, Agent Wu's going to see me, and Hank's like, they're not going to recognize us. We're in disguises. We're wearing hats and sunglasses. We look like ourselves at baseball games. I mean, I find this stuff to be funny. Everything here is affable, but Lawrence Fishburne, I haven't really liked him much since, like, the first Matrix film. I really just thought he's phoned in most everything. We talked about him with the remake of Assault on Precinct 13. We did the Matrix sequels. We did Perry White and Man of Steel. Here... I think he's got some energy. He wanted this role. He went to Kevin Feige and said, listen, I know I'm Perry White, but I'm a Marvel guy. I like Marvel comics more. (laughs) Can I have a job? Is there some place you can fit me? Is Bill Foster somebody in the future? Yes, he's Goliath. He could grow big. And I thought that was going to be him and Hank's like reconciliation at the climax. Here's a suit. Grow big. Help save the day. No. I like that it was in the past. I like that Goliath was years ago. I guess now we'd be still in the 80s or maybe the 70s. Yeah, I keep thinking everything's in the 60s, but we're in 2018 now, so this is late 80s. (laughs) Yeah, so 
I like that they had that history, and there's always room for Lawrence Fishburne's character to grow in future films. It would be weird. I feel like the trend, if you're casting someone that's going to be a big part of the universe, is to go with a younger actor. But I guess he makes sense as a foil for Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't really understand his relationship. It's not a huge surprise, but maybe a little one. Maybe we weren't expecting that he was shepherding Ava and knew all along that maybe this house in the forest is his, and that he's been doing his best ever since her parents died to try and keep her particles contained and find a cure for her. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. When S.H.I.E.L.D. found her in that lab explosion, S.H.I.E.L.D. was sent in, and Foster hadn't yet been run out of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so she's part of the reason he left S.H.I.E.L.D. Part of it was the falling out with Hank, but he wanted to keep working with her. She had been apparently a trained assassin. I'm confused on this because they show her as a trained assassin as a full adult, but yet she changed as a child and Foster started working with her as a child. So I guess she was still at S.H.I.E.L.D., but Foster was working with her after hours and S.H.I.E.L.D. was also working with her. And S.H.I.E.L.D. fell apart. There's a line here that, have you been watching the show, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? They're they're disbanded? Well, that because of Hydra and Winter Soldier. Yeah, you don't understand. The movies refuse to exist more than ever now that Ike is out. S.H.I.E.L.D. ended in... Winter Soldier. That was the end of S.H.I.E.L.D. Sure, there's a TV series, and the TV series says, hey, we're part of the universe. You're never going to see Phil Coulson show up on that screen. Oh, okay. Anyway, I saw this as an opportunity to develop the quote-unquote bad guys. If I'm assuming Bill Foster is working with Ghost, they have a plan together. He's manipulating her to get something done. And what you're telling me is, no, he's just trying to be a father to her because she didn't have one. And she's remained this bratty little girl because no one can hug her. And so the way the actress plays it, I think it's probably right. Hannah John came in basically like her hair is almost in pigtails and she kind of has this giggly way about her. Once she's finally captured the three of them, Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd are all tied up in a chair and she's telling all her backstory. She's kind of just playing it as like this mischievous child. And I get that. I just feel like, okay, without a credible villain, if there is nobody to carry that, this movie is kind of rudderless. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I like Larry Fishburne in this movie. I like what his character does. I like that he's a good guy. But yet, I guess I expected him to have an evil plot. And he was using her, and those father figures were fake. In a more teen-oriented film, I think we would have gotten that, because this is more family-friendly. Again, our only villain is Walton Goggins trying to steal a briefcase. And I don't even understand Bill Foster's plan... Ghost has had this problem for a long time, and he's known Ghost since she was a little girl. And and again, it's just everything's very convenient to happen just in this film. Like, he hasn't been trying to get this lab built so they could bring it all back together and fix her sooner. It's not until Hank shows up in his office. And yeah, the fact is, Ava is going to break down in a matter of weeks. Yes. And it just so happens to coincide with the fact that they've completely not connected to that. They've found a way to talk to Janet, and Janet's the only one that can help her. And they don't know exactly how, but they're presuming once they meet her that she can. Which was a good scene. I like it. Paul Rudd's best moment is when he's pretending to be a woman. And Michelle Pfeiffer. And he's like caressing Hanks at Hope's face. I really wanted him to go in for the kiss with Michael Douglas. I did too. What is frustrating for me, again, yeah, they have the two-hour time limit. It's bad. And it's been rewritten. And they've reworked it. And I think... 
In almost all circumstances, there were two doors. They could walk through the one that was interesting and complex and adult, or they could walk through the one that had the better jokes and was funny and lackadaisical. And they walked through that second door again and again and again. I will say this, though. The whole audience is laughing. You have your three main characters. They're tied up. And then Scott gets a call from his daughter, 911. She can't find her soccer cleats. Everyone's laughing. So... It seems to be working for the crowd. I, I agree with you, Stuart, that I want a different film. But for what we're getting, it's light and fluffy and there's problems for me because I'm an adult. But I still like the jokes. I like the little skits in between the drama. Yeah, I'm enjoying the skits. When there's the recurring joke because Birch brings out his interrogator and the interrogator has drugs. And Michael Pena's Louise is like, oh, it's truth serum. There's no such thing as truth serum. And then... I should have seen it coming, but I didn't. When they inject Michael Pena, we get one of those great Louise stories. <laughs> Where is Scott? And he starts talking about the relationship and everything because he's saying where Scott is emotionally. I mean, I'm having fun. I don't think Luis or any of them are well used in this film. They feel like obligations, like they were in the first film. We have to find something for them to do in a movie that's already just a little chaotic, but I'm enjoying what they're given to do nonetheless. They bring personality. I really wish the other two, T.I., who is a very funny actor, and David... Desmalachian? <laughs> who plays Kurt. I wish they were given more to do as it is. They're almost like Statler and Waldorf of this movie, just kind of making comments on the side. They're going to do that stuff. The first movie was full of it, and they're continuing that. They need to make this jovial and fun with lots of riffing and references. I'm glad that Lawrence Fishburne stops Ava, because Ava's like, I'm going to do Yellow Jacket's plot. I'm going to go after the little girl and torture her as a way of getting them to hand over the lab again. Because again, everything here is about, for some reason, she wants the lab, because that will be her way of getting to Michelle Pfeiffer. But, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, he claims it's he's against her morality, but I think it's more like, yeah, we don't want to do all the same beats from the last movie. Why don't you go and just go steal the lab again when they're hiding in Muir Wood? And they have this FBI mole that I assumed was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. doing bad things, and fans of the TV show would know who it is. But Walter Goggins' contact gets there and arrests Michael Douglas. Paul Rudd makes it home, so they he has to make a choice. And let's just talk about parenting for a second. He literally asked his five-year-old daughter, or maybe she's seven now, if it's okay for him to be Ant-Man. Is this giving her too much power? Our parents, like, he should just take control here. I'm Ant-Man, damn it. I've got to go do this because it's the right thing to do. I'll say this. With big decisions like that, you want to talk to your child. and You're the adult. You have the ultimate say. But when my wife and I were dating, we had both been married and, and then got divorced. She had two kids. And we sat down with them and talked to them. And how do you feel about us getting married? And they were like seven and four at the time. Or with, you know, they're children. But yeah, we had that conversation. So they felt like they still had some kind of control of the situation. I, I do feel like if you're going to be a superhero, yeah, you, and you have children, you want to talk about that with them and, and make sure they're okay with you risking your life and maybe not being around. There's a kind of weird Electra complex, though, because Cassie wants to be his partner. And he laughs and then kind of hurts her feelings. But he really wants to be partners with Hope. Yeah, not only that, but she's picking up some of his bad habits, right? She stole his trophy to take to show and tell. They have a whole random subplot of it. We have to go to her elementary school and play all of these jokes about I'm too short to reach the 
backpack. Hey, I think we're finally ready for that little big man remake. Technology is finally there. We could have <laughs> the whatever Wayne's brother it is running around as a baby and have it look convincing now. But lost amid all of that comedy is the fact that she stole. She is like him. She's a cat burglar. These habits are getting bad. He needs to parent if he's going to parent. He needs to talk to her about that. I like Agent Wu. We haven't discussed him very much, but he's omnipresent in this film. He's the one who's tasked with babysitting Scott. And from the very first scene where he does a complete data dump for all of us <laughs> comic nerds who are like, where was Scott during Infinity War and what's going on? They mentioned he made a deal. He's going to give a data dump to Cassie that's just very funny that outlines absolutely everything as to how they got where they got and then of course the punchline is he's a youth pastor so he should know how to talk to kids better in the second half he's stuck running all the way around because that's what everyone's doing in the second half is just running around yeah but birch's informant whose name i never get just happens to be in Wu's division under Wu's command and so that's how Wu has been chasing after the pims this whole time in the credits he's listed as agent stoltz I don't know if that means anything to people that read Margaret comics, if that's going to be a character that does anything. But he might as well just be unseen because he doesn't do anything other than attempt to steal the lab and then have it stolen from him by ghost so that, yeah, we can finally get to a big car chase, which is a great fun idea. San Francisco, you think car chases, you think the windy roads, but what they've added to it here is... Cars that can grow and shrink. And Michael Pena, that's where he's utilized a lot in the second half of the film. I mean, if you're in San Francisco, and at least some of this movie is shot in San Francisco, not a lot of it looks like it is. But when we get landmarks, and when we get to on the street here, it is a funny thing. That train scene, the way that they would interplay between it being a really exciting, we're battling on top of a train, cliched action movie scene, and a toy going around on a track. <laughs> they do that similar thing here with matchbox cars flying down Lombard Street while real cars are crashing and burning behind them. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, you talked, Stuart, about your love for just seeing these miniatures. That is a lot of fun when you see just this tiny car go jumping off the road and then it grows big. And, I, you know, you get the wasps. She's shooting like motorcycles and they're shrieking and the guys go flying off. I think there are some fun effects to these chases. And we get a Stan Lee cameo. He is uh, thinking it's a 60s flashback <laughs> when they shrink his car. I was very happy to see Stan. I forgot, you know, I just forgot there would be a Stan Lee cameo. Honestly, I'm so worried about this man in real life. I wasn't sure if his caretakers slash captors would take him to a set, but I'm <laughs> glad that he was there and it looks like he's doing well whenever that was filmed. Yeah, there's a lot going on that is fun. There's not a lot of momentum or sense that anything major is happening other than hot potato. We've been playing hot potato for most of this runtime, and at a certain point, as far as I can tell, you know, they have lots of jokes like Wasp ends up crashing on a windshield. I guess that's a bug joke, but eventually it's for Birch to get this lab and to get on a whale riding boat, and Ant-Man has to grow big and get it back. Does he grow big on purpose? Again, he was able to fix that suit, like, modified in the first film. This time, talking about how useless Ant-Man is in this movie, he doesn't even have a working suit most of the time. It's, he's going too big, too small. We see that here. I wasn't even sure. I mean, he goes 
way big, bigger than we've ever seen him. And I just thought, oh, maybe it's a malfunctioning suit. Yeah, I was kind of reminded of Iron Man 3 with that Mark 42 that never worked and was the absolute worst Iron Man suit in history. Here, Hank gives him the suit and says it's a work in progress, and it breaks a lot for humorous effect. I like it when he's in the dock and they think he's a whale and he comes up over that boat. That's a scene in the trailer. It's a great visual. I think Peyton Reed has a great use of composition and color. This is a colorful film that looks really good. When he comes out of that water and is over them, I like it a lot. But I think when he was running through the school and was a foot and a half tall and they thought he was a child was where I got tired of it. Uh, What I was noticing in almost every scene is that they never want to give him too much to do. Like, they really do want to make this the Wasp movie. And so she gets all the best stuff. Even here, he's big and he snatches it back. But she's the one that has to go save him when he belly flops and and falls into the water. And, you know, yeah, he broke her out of the FBI holding room. But she had already undone the handcuffs and had an alternate plan about busting through the wall. I just feel, even when he, like, saves her from Ghost early on, he's like, yeah, you taught me how to do that kick. They do not want to see his heroism without hers eclipsing it. She is always better than him furthermore this is called ant-man and the wasp that might not even refer to him because we're gonna see michael douglas put on that ant-man outfit and shrink and go save another wasp during the climax of this film so perhaps the title isn't even about paul rudd right yeah and that was confusing to me because there was a whole part of the plot shenanigans was we needed an old suit in order to even find the Michelle Pfeiffer character. And so he had one lying around? That wasn't an Ant-Man suit. That was just a protective suit to wear to the quantum realm. Oh, that wasn't his old Ant-Man suit. Then. No, that's what he gave to Paul Rudd. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I knew that that was the old suit. But then all of a sudden there was a third suit. So I was like, huh? Yeah, it looks similar, but it's not an Ant-Man suit. It's just a suit that he wears in the pod. That suit doesn't shrink or grow you because he has to go through the tunnel. The tunnel does the shrinking and growing. Uh, you know what? I'm not against Michael Douglas getting the mission. Yeah, we haven't really liked him in this movie and he need, he's he got a lot to atone for. And so, yeah, he has been thinking for the past 30 years about the wife that left him and that it should have been him that went into this quantum realm. Okay, yeah, let him do that. He gets to have the dive that Ed Harris does in the abyss or, you know, Richard Dreyfus gets on the alien ship in Close Encounters. He gets to go to the magical place. It's just a little disappointing pointing for me that this movie always is like do you got any idea what should happen hugs everyone <laughs> hugs i mean there are so many hugs in this movie i wish i had a dime for everyone that hugs it's a family movie Stuart. <laughs> i get it man do i get it and i don't know why it wasn't hank to begin with it was going to be hope yeah that seems the obvious choice yeah Go get your wife. I guess because of the last movie, he kept telling Hope, no, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. Now it's Hope, go do it. Hope, go do it. Oh, Hope, we need you to actually fight, so I'll go do it. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to talk about the plot because they're just mostly bits, but what is she doing for the most part? They have to fight off Ghost because Ghost is trying to hook up a machine to the machine that as soon as Janet comes back will rip the quantum energy from her and possibly kill her and they need to have the building big for them to even come back in the first place for reasons i wondered if you shrink into the quantum realm inside of a building and then that building and everything in it shrinks are you subquantum? we even got a scene earlier to like set this up that there's a universe like in your fingernail we see donald sutherland talking about it from animal house 
So I'm thinking, oh, we're going to see some cool stuff there. Yeah, it's like the question of if you're driving 75 miles an hour and there's a fly in your car and the fly flies from your back windshield to your front windshield, is it going 80 miles an hour? Yeah, I think that if you had done some kind of Inception cities folding in on itself kind of cool special effects about shrinking and growing and and maybe that's even part of the reason why Hank is having so much problems finding his wife, I think it would have been really fun to explore this micro universe because to see the floor to everything being this shenanigans is just kind of dull. It just idles when this movie could be going somewhere. I mean, I'm not saying I don't have laughs. I'm not saying I'm having a good enough time. I'm just not feeling like this is a big IMAX event movie. Well, I think the effects are good. Like I said, the shots are good. I'm liking seeing it in the larger format, especially when we're dealing with Scott going giant and things. He feels bigger. This definitely feels fills the quota of eye candy for a Marvel film. Oh, see, I feel like we are teased when we see, again, Hank interacting with those micro bugs. And I'm like, oh, if it was just an hour and a half of this, this would be awesome. And then they go into the quantum zone, which just seems like a lot of weird little colors. They could have done something more there, but I just wanted more of that. I liked it when he was in that middle area. That was cool. It really felt like a... Like you said earlier, the abyss with just these sea creatures coming at you with those big teeth. He gets out of it too easy, though. Well, I like the way it's framed. At first, he's like, wow, these are really beautiful. And then he's like, oh, wait, they're coming to eat me. This is a problem. (laughs) It doesn't have to be all of the movie, but do it in parallel. Get a lot more of this stuff into the climax, and you have more out of your climax. What they're banking on is that everything is about ghosts. And at this point, she's all but vanished from this movie. When they finally come back, what, does she get a couple kicks in before she gets the Reiki hands? They've almost totally given up on her. Ghost is such a disappointment because she looks great in that outfit, but then she ultimately does nothing. I feel the same way about Goggins. He gives the chase. He adds chaos. But in the end, he's taken out by the ex-con security people with some tasers. And truth serum. Yeah, true. They confess. I did laugh because he's running a restaurant. I, I love that detail like you mentioned. And he's like, I have so many health code violations. Some of them will shock you. It sounded like clickbait. I wanted to now know. Yeah, you do because I've eaten in a lot of San Fran restaurants and they're usually great. But yeah, who knows? The kitchens must be really tiny. I mean, everything in San Francisco is so compact. <laughs> it just feels like we're at this climax too easily. And there's the ticking clock. I talked about it in the script. It's just so convenient. And we see that time expire and the whole thing, this is quantum physics, the quantum realm. You could be everywhere and nowhere. It's like Schrodinger's cat. Is it alive or dead? But no, she's just standing around. She's still there, even though the two hours is up. I thought I knew what the answer was going to be. They say time works differently in the quantum realm. It's one of their technobabble lines that I picked up on. I'm like, oh yeah, so the clock's going to go out because it's measuring Earth time, but time's different in the quantum realm. No, they never even pay any attention to the fact that the clock went out. I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was still going to be, like, young or something. They were going to mess with us some way. I don't know. Einstein, relativity, all that science stuff. But this movie does not care about science. Well, they try and tease her that she's the Grim Reaper. Like, he has this quiet moment, like, after the trippy images in that he's back at his house and people in his life are challenging him. I think he's having some guilt about the life that he led. And then all of a sudden, this Grim Reaper with Scythe is coming down the hall. And it's just really, it's just her. 
No, I did like that look. They used like her broken wings. Yeah, they look like a scythe or whatever. I figured that out, though, because at first I'm like, oh, it's a demon. But what he saw was he saw Scott, he saw Hope, and then he sees the Grim Reaper. I'm like, wait, oh, wait a second. Who's the next person for him to see? This is obviously his wife. There should have been more of a challenge than just a race to get there. When getting there, what's she been doing for 30 years? I mean, this is Scrooge waking up on Christmas Day and realizing he could still be a good person, except we haven't really seen this character change. Yeah, he should have, in facing all the people he screwed over in his life, come to that conclusion dramatically, and I think it got written out. I think it was left on the editing room floor if it was filmed at all so they could put in more jokes about pastries and Morrissey. What do you have against Edmonds and Morrissey? No, that's this movie's Baskin-Robbins. They're trying to like yeah. give it a little push here, and this is just a silly product placement from characters we associate with riffing on. That's what they do. They just mock the emblems and icons of our modern age, packet, oatmeal, what have you. We get a climax here. Everything resolves rather easily. Ex-con, because they got the good media coverage that they did, they're going to get that home security contract and save the business. I just had so many concerns with Ex-con's business because they all had these security cameras and like a fireproof safe. This is all stuff I could buy at Target. You're trying to build your whole company around this? I need something specialized. Yeah, Hank and Janet are going to rebuild their home in Hawaii, I think it is. Is that their original home, the home they said they lost? Did they just shrink it down and he's been carrying it with them? Yes, he's just, when they had to run every single thing he owned, he shrunk to easy travel size. And every time I'm packing for San Diego Comic-Con, I wish I had that power. Well, you wish you could do it on the way home, because you got to ship all those toys back. <laughs> that is very, very true. What does Foster do? I know they have this dramatic moment where she feels guilt. You were right about me. I've done bad things, and you should leave me behind because the cops are raiding. And he's like, no. Is there something from the combo books to tell us that Ghost and Goliath are going to do something epic? Is this a tease of any kind? No, there's nothing in the comic books. Okay. This is just for the movie. It's just a wasted opportunity then. This It's because it's families and parents and daughters, and that's his adopted daughter in a sense. So, yeah, he's got to convince her to stick around and not keep running. Just like Bucky. She is the Bucky of the Ant-Man franchise. No, but aren't they both running together now? Aren't they just hiding together? She doesn't turn herself in. No, she doesn't turn herself in, but they're together. She wanted to run away from even Bill Foster, and he convinces her, let's stick together. There's so much more they could do here, but the father-daughter stuff that we do care about, it's Scott. And yes, he has a lot of shenanigans about can I get home? And t- A Ferris Bueller kind of <laughs> running back to my house and will Wu catch me? Nowhere near as fun as Ferris. Well, at any rate, he does of course make it, get the ankle bracelet taken off, and gets to go to the drive-in movie with his daughter. And Hope. They're all going to be a family now. I absolutely loved the reveal because I thought they were at a drive-in, right? Sure. And it's just a bunch of matchbox cars and a laptop screen. I loved that. Yeah, that was fun. It was a good way to go out. Again, I'm not convinced that Hope would be a very good mother or lover in this scenario. But I, yeah, if the focus has been father and daughter, I do feel like this is the right note to end on for Scott and Cassie. But there is one more scene, of course. Two more. Really? (laughs) I was wondering, when are you going to tie this into Infinity War? Is it going to come during the film? I knew this is what the stinger was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be mid-credits, but I knew this is how it had to go. I knew people were disappearing. Like, throughout the film, I'm like... 
vanish that like waiting for people and the crowd went crazy the audience went crazy i'm like are they surprised or they just have good feelings from infinity war bubbling up again because i thought it was obvious i'm like i know they're all gonna vanish scott's gonna get stuck somewhere i feel like they were starved people that were so happy to get a crumb they had wanted so badly for this to be more about infinity war than it ended up being that we got anything here I mean, people were cheering, like clapping and loudly cheering at this moment of Michael Douglas and, and his family turning into ash. I think they forgot. I know I did. I got into this movie enough, and it's very loose vibe, that I forgot we were supposed to be dealing with the end of the world. And so for me, seeing that scene, it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. And it tells me I've been thinking it the whole film. Paul Rudd would not fit in because the next Avengers film is going to be very serious, even more than the last one. We're going back to the core Avengers. You, there's some art that's leaked, and the people who survived the ashing were all the original Avengers, the ones from the first movie. Black Widow, Hulk, Cap, Iron Man, Thor. And I'm like, Paul Rudd does not fit in there oh, they're going to lock him away in the quantum realm. And Evangeline Lilly did publicly say, yeah, I filmed Infinity War. It was very short filming. She's going to show up at the end, be reincorporated, save Scott from the quantum realm and call it a day. Oh, you think she's going to save him? It's the nature of their relationship. But I feel like he could possibly find an ally while he's here. Someone that we've been wanting. I don't know. Is there a superhero that comes from a microscopic realm? Well, what I was thinking, Dr. Strange, he saw every way that this fight could go. And the one way to win, I'm like, is it all going to come down to Ant-Man? Is he going to come like through this dimension and save the day somehow? I thought that briefly, but now I'm convinced he's just in jail. He is just in movie jail. So this movie really doesn't matter because, like, Ant-Man's not going to do nothing. I think so. Because when I rewatched Civil War, actually, after seeing Ant-Man 2, and I'm like, as soon as Paul Rudd shows up, he's cracking jokes the whole time. Okay, Arrow guy, shoot. And all of that, it's your conscience. We don't talk. He's a comedic presence. He's a funny guy. And that will not fit in the movie. I predict we see him very briefly. But Peyton Reed has already talked to Marvel. They have plans for an Ant-Man 3. They have the story already kind of worked out. I feel like he could write in at the end. When you least expect it, he comes blasting out and it'll be both funny and heroic. I refuse to believe that he's just a damsel in distress waiting to be saved. The movie will need him. These directors are very good about finding the proper way to use all the pieces. He will come back for a reason, but I agree. It won't be his movie. He won't be featured much. Yeah, what tells you how hard it is to fit Ant-Man into a serious, dire Avengers film is the final scene in this where it's very spooky, like the TV's off-the-air signals. No humans. Not one. <laughs> yeah, half of everyone's disappeared. And you go zoom into a giant ant playing the drums. And I'm like, that is totally very off. <laughs> it is. And that scene was in the trailer. And I thought we already got it because that ant was living Scott's life. And I got laughs out of that every time. When Louise comes over and sees an ant laying on the couch, eating the Fruit Loops, but also eating the box and watching TV and the ant taking the bath. Well, 
when Scott's wondering, how is the feds not going to know I've left? Hank pulls up a nanny cam of this ant that's been programmed to do what Scott does. And the ant's playing the drums. And I'm like, okay, there's the drum joke. We're just seeing a different angle of it in the actual movie. Nope, we're going to see him playing the drums some more. I guess he's programmed for that, right? He's going to do that for the rest of his ant <laughs> life. He's going to play the drums, spend two hours in the bathroom, watch TV for nine hours. That is just his existence now. Oh my God, it's like us. I go to work for eight hours. I come home. Oh my Lord, I'm an ant. While I reflect on that, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Ant-Man and the Wasp? Jacob. I'm going to say this. Best Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie ever. I don't know. That first one with Rick Moranis? That first one does not hold up. I watched it a couple years ago. Okay, I haven't seen this since the 80s, but I have good memories. No, no, I I enjoy this one again. This is a kids movie. It's a family movie, though. The the difference being with a a family film, there is stuff there for adults. And I laughed a lot. My wife laughed a lot. And even during some of the more kiddie jokes, I thought it was funny. Like, there's a scene when Scott, he's trying to get to that whale-watching boat, and he's riding all these flying ants and seagulls just keep coming and eating them and i laughed it was charming i'll put it that way just like yeah just giant ants doing funny stuff it's hard to take serious i think the plot of this is kind of a mess and not really the point it is more about the jokes and just the broad brushes of family of fathers and daughters that kind of thing but as far as like marvel sequels goes this is a better one i think it's an improvement upon the first ant-man again it's pretty frivolous but i had an enjoyable time it's a recommend Stuart. Can we put it on TV, please? (laughs) I mean, I would be so much more okay. It's all about context. If you create a family sitcom vibe, then yeah, cancel Inhumans, put it on ABC. And and they did cancel Inhumans. All right. Yay. Well, victory already. But you see what I'm saying. When I think about sitting down for a big movie, and again, the, the fact that this is coming out after Black Panther and Infinity War, how small it really does feel. It's easily one of the least essential Marvel films. Again, I just don't think you have to see it in order to appreciate what's coming next. I just don't think that it matters that much. It really comes down to, do you like to watch Paul Rudd riffing? Do you like to watch Evangeline Lilly kick ass? I think they're very simple pleasures. There are pleasures here. I did enjoy some of it. Again, miniature. Anytime you're going big and little, giant Pez, little bodies kicking ass, all of that stuff is the heart of the movie. But my patience for recommending that is running thin. I think this is lesser than Ant-Man. I feel like there's less here than there was last time. They're running out of material. The idea of a sequel is you're going to do more, and it's getting smaller. I just don't feel like there's much here. I'm going to give it the tiniest of green arrows because it's not (laughs) a bad time. But if they do a third one, I just don't know how they can avoid red. I think this is better than the first Ant-Man. I think it has a much better plot because Ghost is so much better than the bald guy who just wanted an Ant-Man suit of his own. And the don't think that the last film really came together very well with Scott, the way he got the suits and the way he just had all the misadventures. And more to the point, you think this movie does come together well. I think it comes together better. Mm, Like a lot better. It's better by a hair. Okay. Can't you make an ant pun? (laughs) Yeah, right? By a mandible, a thorax? (laughs) It's better, but it's not drastically different. It's consistent. I just like that the end here felt like more... It looked cooler. 
than the Thomas the Tank Engine train from the last one. It all comes down to the fact that I found Ghost to be an intriguing character. Wow. Okay, you're right. It does come down to Ghost. I think she's maybe the worst Marvel villain ever. Oh, my God. Coolest looking, but yeah, doesn't do much. Nothing. Disappointing. So disappointing. Dark Elves. I mean, yeah, this movie is down there in the dark world with me. I mean, it's right (laughs) there. It's small. Oh, wow. Wow. No. (laughs) It's really, I mean, there's, I'm surprised you guys like it as much as you do. They just did everything they did in the last movie. Watching it for what it is. It's a family kids film. Yeah. And so was the last one. And they're just not pushing the ball forward that far. I don't know how many challenging family films there are out there that push the ball forward. It doesn't even have to be challenging. It's just new ideas. Again, if we had just explored a Wonderland world of the quantum realm, what did we do here that was so different? I don't want the quantum realm movie you guys want. I think that sounds abhorrent to me. I just like Ant-Man as the grounded hero. Then you want a sitcom. Then you literally just want to revisit the characters in their home every week and have them tell you some jokes. As long as the jokes stay funny. Yeah, and the thing is, Ghost... Got my sympathy here. I thought the actress who played her did very well. I just think that there was more complexity to her more than Yellow Jacket. So it's a hair better. It's a step up. They're still building that anthill, though. You know, it's not quite there yet. He can't play with the big boys, but he's perfectly fine on his own as the, hey, let's have a family movie you can get the younger kids indoctrinated so that they'll become marvel fans in the teen years we all saw the same movie my appetite for that is dwindling i didn't really want it to begin with and now that i see that adding wasp is not doing a whole lot to the mix i don't know what you could do with the third one to make it exciting Well, they have a plan. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. I don't know a whole lot about Ant-Man. I don't think they're going to get into the spousal abuse storylines. Oh, shit. Really? (laughs) Yeah, when Hank slaps Janet around. No, no, no. You've already established the tone. Keep it there. Don't go darker. Don't go more complex. But just make it interesting. Engage us visually or dramatically in some way for all age audiences. I just don't know what else there is to say about being tiny and big. I think they've run through with it. My point is that I just feel like in a one-joke premise, you don't tell it twice, three times. They gotta have something more. I like the composition, but come on, Peyton Reed? Why did you get him back? I mean, again, I don't want to harp on it, but he was your booty call. He was your hollaback director. I mean, he does a lot of TV. Marvel likes those TV guys. The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, the TV movie. I liked that when I was 19. Down With Love? I couldn't get through Down With Love. Again, I think it was respectful to let the man that made the hit last time do it completely on his own. He's shown what he's got for an Ant-Man movie. Yeah, if someone else can pitch a better movie, make it with them. Yeah, but he's saying he's already talked to Feige. They have the plans. Part three has not been announced. They cannot confirm part three. Yeah, they put the question mark at the end of this one. They've announced nothing other than Captain Marvel and whatever they're calling the next Avengers. And Spider-Man after that. Oh, yes. Far From Home. We got a title even on that one. And Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is filming, like, next year. Okay. We don't have release dates, and Feige has said he's going to be less cagey about this after Avengers 4, but right now, they don't want to confirm too many survivals or denials, but they've confirmed Spider-Man's going to live, and some Guardians will live. Right. Okay. 
And we're going back to Marvel before Captain Marvel, even. I mean, we've got, in just a few months, Venom is coming at us. Wow. God, man, I can't wait to get there because... Because that means you're closer to enter the Spider-Verse? Yeah, that actually looks like the better Spider-Man movie of this year. It does. I'll I'll say this. (laughs) I like Tom Hardy. I don't feel like his Bane was everything that I wanted. I'll give him another shot to be an anti-hero. I just hope the CGI is not complete in those trailers. Agreed. But, man, they have now announced four movies in this Fox Spider-Man-less Spider-Verse. Venom, Black and Silver, Silk, which is the female Asian who was also bitten by the same spider that bit Peter and they didn't know about for, you know, 40, 50 years of comics. I've never known about Silk. And now, frickin' Jared Leto has signed to be Morbius the Living Vampire, Spider-Man's villain in a solo film. I've never heard of that character. We were talking about him the other night, the vampire, Jared Leto. Uh, yeah, and I thought it was Mobius who is the, who Jake Gyllenhaal is playing. No, not Mobius, Morbius. Yeah, I don't know what that is. He's a living vampire. That's what I'm saying. They're now pulling out things that I have no association with. Was he in the Amazing (laughs) Friends cartoon? Yes, but did you know Silver Sable? Did you have a big attachment to her? I do feel like Spider-Man has a cadre of villains that everyone knows. Everyone knows the Rhino. Everyone knows Doc Ock. He had good villains, and that they're going to this. I wish him luck, because I know I'm going to have to see it. May it it be a great film, but I'm not optimist. Me either. Can Disney buy Sony next? We'll see how it goes. Uh, Again, Venom will be the first foray. How do you make a Venom movie without Spider-Man? Is there a surprise waiting for us? Or could Tom Holland pop up with Tom Hardy? No. In fact, I don't even think they're putting the spider on Venom's chest. It's just a black suit. Weird. I know. It's wrong. Oh, well. We got other things to see between then and now. More ants. Yes. If you love giant ants and you like video games, then we really got something special (laughs) for you next week. Yeah, this video game retrospective has been a huge (laughs) success for quality film. Those alone in the dark reviews were amazing. Wow. Yes, we're actually buying (laughs) flamethrowers to prepare for future installments. And anyone who happens to own Alone in the Dark 2 and wants to mail it to us... I'll give you our P.O. box. I will get a spindle of those things, and I'll flamethrow all of them if people mail me the discs. (laughs) We can make things out of them and then melt them. That would be fun. Yeah, I think you need to get a huge collection. Everyone, find a load of the Dark 2 and send it to Arnie. Let's get hundreds of copies. Well, I'm confident for some reason that the movie next week will be better than Alone in the Dark 2. It's kind of a riff on the old 1950s giant ant movies like them, like we saw at the end of this film. It's a video game that was inspired by that, that has now become full circle and become a 2008 movie from Finland. So best of luck. There's extreme sporting in it. That's what I saw in the trailer. So yay. And of course... On Fridays, we're still going through, and we've now worked through all the purges, and we're now watching Al Pacino dance back and forth between being a cop and being a gangster. This Friday the 13th, he's kind of in, well, it's as close to a slasher movie as Pacino has ever made. Cruising. It is totally not for the audience who's watching this Tuesday's or next Tuesday's film. I can't... (laughs) Think of bigger pendulum swings. S&M, blowjobs, all kinds of fun stuff. 
It's literally like you took your kids to see Winnie the Pooh, said, I'll be right back, kids, went across the street to the adult theater, jacked it, and then went back to Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> no, it's like Winnie the Pooh and Tyler Dearden got a hold of that print and put in some <laughs> pornography. Yeah, it's quite extreme. Again, there's very few things in Pacino's resume that are like it, but he is a cop in that film. He's part of our Pacino Cop Platinum series. If you've signed up for that, go to our website, click the banner at the top of the page. There's lots of different ways you can support our show and see some really interesting movies this summer. Cruising is certainly eye-opening, and we'll be continuing on through his resume. We still got to get to Heat, to Scarface, to Dick Tracy, some big films in there. And if you're in for something a little bit more mainstream than Cruising, yes, Stuart mentioned next week's Scarface, but if you're one of our patrons, also next week, because... You know, Comic-Con, why take it easy? Let's do three shows Comic-Con week. (laughs) Great, Stuart. Great scheduling there. Yeah, you're on the plane. You got nothing to do but edit. We're doing The Untouchables. Yeah, it's funny. You know, Scarface is a movie made by Brian De Palma about a gangster. And then he went and made another movie about Scarface the gangster, the real one, Al Capone. Big hit in 1987, Kevin Costner versus Robert De Niro. Sean Connery won an Oscar for it. We're going to cover that classic character, TV show, and movie in that patron July event. And we are starting a bit of a campaign for our patrons because... We have 554 patrons as of this recording. If we could get that number to 700, 146 more patrons, we can hire a company to build us a cool website. And what's the benefit of that? Self-login, get the shows, one login, all the donation shows you have that you've donated to us for, better search capabilities. I really think Now Playing has had the same website for 10 years. I'd love to see it get an upgrade. 146 people. So if you're not a patron yet, head to our website. Right now, if you're a $10 patron, you get all the Purge reviews, the Assault on Precinct 13 reviews, whatever the current silver level donation reviews are. And then you also get these monthly reviews that nobody other than patrons get. So 146 more $10 patrons, and we can have that website. That would be great for us. We'd certainly thank you for it. But if you can't do it, we will still be putting shows out there. We can't wait for you to join us on a lot more movies this summer. Mission Impossible, looking pretty good. Teen Titans, go. Yeah, I don't know where they came from, but we'll be talking about them. Yeah, The Nun, Predator's coming back. Uh, There's a lot of shows on our main feed, as well as this video game retrospective that will be carrying us on through the rest of the year. So thank you all for listening. And yes, for those that can donate at the patron level, a special fist bump for you. So all you listeners, thank you for listening to our show. Without listeners, we'd have no reason to do it. We thank all of our listeners, donors, patrons, or just fans of the show who come on Facebook and Twitter and give us a nice word here or there. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with Marvel in... It's the longest break from Marvel Cinematic Universe we've had for a long time. Captain Marvel comes back in March. And then after that, we finally again get Avengers Assemble! I 
I just have one question. When Cap needed help, if I'd asked you, would you have come? I guess we'll never know. But if you had, you'd have never been caught. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing Avengers Retrospective Series, part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher, plus DC Comics reviews of Green Lantern, Batman, and Superman. Good luck keeping up. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, Back to the Future, The Fast and the Furious, Tron, Avatar, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and many more. I'm bringing the party to you. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, The Godfather, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice and very tasteful. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. It's a small price to pay for salvation. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. These books are far too advanced for anyone other than the Sorcerer Supreme. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Now might be a really good time for me to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. All right, let's start over. You can edit it. Three, two, one. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you he are. just did it again. You're entertaining the guy. This is my voice. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you?
Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? Hey, you were supposed to be my lift home. How will I get out of here? Hey, oh, gee, I've got so many more stories to tell. Oh, guys. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! You gave her wings? And blasters. So I take it you didn't have that tech available for me? No, I did. I think with most of the solo films right now, I'm not that excited. Ant-Man, I wasn't even all that excited for Black Panther. Oh, you're not talking about Star Wars. <laughs> the solo Marvel films, okay. <laughs> oh, God. So much plot. Or is there? Is there? It's a very little plot, I could argue. Yeah. I, I say there's a lot of... All right, there's a lot of plot, I but mean, not if, much story. If you put quantum in front of every word, then there's a lot, like they did in this <laughs> film. Yeah, there's a lot of skits. There's a lot of material. How about that? There's a lot of characters. All right. Hank now theorizes that Hope's mother, who, if you remember, was lost in the quantum realm 30 years earlier while stopping a nuke. The film will remind us. It'll replay that whole scene. Well, Janet Pym, well, Janet Pym may still be alive. And they may be able to rescue her. It's Janet Van Dyne. It is I mean, Van Dyne. I think she took confused. the married name. Yeah. I think she's an independent mm-hmm. woman. Yeah. Oh, it's Janet Van Dyne? Yes. yes. Oh. Yeah. Which... And the daughter took her name. Yeah. Okay. I, did they... I thought that was her maiden name. They only just call her Janet in the film. I didn't catch Janet Van Dyne. No, no there was one point they did call her Van Dyne. Really? Yeah. Because yep. I'm like, oh, I guess she's not a Pym. <laughs> they got okay. divorced while she was in the quantum zone. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let me re-say that sentence then. And they've got... Mm, mm, mm. They've got something in their throat. I don't have any juice for you. Oh, you do. I do. Foster was the original Goliath when he worked with Hank, but they too had a falling out. Wasn't he Galactus? No, Goliath. No. No, but the Silver Surfer. Yeah, he was Silver Surfer. Oh, he was the Silver Surfer. He was the voice of the Silver Surfer? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> it always weirded me out to hear Lawrence Fishburne's voice coming out of Doug Jones's body. And he's Perry White. <laughs> but he's African American. How can he be Perry White? But up. Uh, I like Morrissey, and I'm Hispanic, so I <laughs> guess so. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anecdotal evidence. Don't wear a pompadour, though. I mean, I'm talking about the yeah, this subculture. Like they do the pompadours and everything. Like they really get but into it. I don't care for Mita's murder, though. That song just goes over the top. But <laughs> I can't believe you like Morrissey. He is way over the top. <laughs> Sorry, you just get the cows mooing. That is not music. That's... <laughs> Forgot there would be a Stan Lee cameo. What was his in Infinity War? He was on a... No, that was Deadpool. Yeah. Um, He was the bus driver that Spider-Man was on. And I had to dig deep. That's right. Early on. Okay. When we still could have... (laughs) Yeah, good job. Yeah. Um, They do have this shot in the background from Invasion of the Body Snatchers in our book. No, no, no. No, no. That's Animal Animal House. House. That was... 
I know. It looks like Donald Sutherland. It is Donald Sutherland. Oh, that was, no, no, that, it is. That was Animal House? Yeah, he's in, he's in Animal House. That's Tom Hulse. That's Tom Hulse that he's oh, talking to. So that's how you know. I remember that line talking about a universe in your fingernail. It's not one of the more memorable parts of the movie. They picked it out. That's Animal House? I'm like, oh, it's got to be Invasion of the Body Snatchers <laughs> because it looked like Donald Sutherland from that film. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was Invasions of the Body Snatchers too because it was Donald Sutherland with that mustache. Yes! And I go to look it up because I want to just validate it. I'm like... That's that the animal? Animal? Wow, okay. I, it's been a while. If you feel better, <laughs> you, you'll feel better to know he shot them back to back. Okay. So yeah, know, he's no, looking to the say. Okay, I will rephrase that then. I mean, we even... I don't even remember what we're talking about now. Um, <laughs> we even get a scene where... He, I, you were going to talk about what he was talking about. With the shrinking with, with and the animal house again. Yeah. I totally wanted that ghost moment with <laughs> Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, that ghost. Okay, not the ghost. <laughs> no, this, this ghost will no. be useless yeah. in this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, yeah, I... <laughs> What do you have against Edmonds and Morrissey? I have a lot against Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, old Morrissey is problematic. <laughs> I have a lot against Edmonds, actually. So the two of us combined, we can hate on that. <laughs> and Edmonds suck. Yeah, totally suck. And it claims to be healthy. It is not healthy. No. <laughs> it claims to be healthy? You know that it claims to be healthy, though, because it's fat-free stuff. And instead of being fat-free, though, they've just pumped it so full of sugar. Mm, and, like, yeah. in the 90s, it was the dieter's dessert. And they didn't pay attention to the fact that they were eating, like, 20,000 calories. Right, yeah. It may not contain fat, but it has a lot of sugar that turns into fat. So there's really not much difference in the end. But, hey... Do you recommend Ant-Man and the Wasp? Or do you recommend Ant-Man or the Wasp? Jacob. They only made two Honey, I Shrunk, I Grew movies. Oh, no, no, no. there's they, they more. Got more than two. Yeah, I think there were three theatrical and then a bunch they, on they TV. Blew, they blew up the kids. They shrunk the family. Those were TV movies yeah, they, then. No, Honey, no, I Blew yeah, Up the Kids. I'm theatrical. saying after that, there was only two theatrical okay. movies. I thought there was a third okay. for some reason, but I could be wrong. I'm not going to die on that hill. There was a TV show. show. I, I watched yeah. it. It was not good, but... No. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. Rick Moranis is in that well, one. That right. had to be theatrical. I, I wasn't going to die on that hill. I'm yeah, gonna say I that. mean, yeah. It's, uh, again, my point is... For a future yeah, retrospective. Maybe, but... 